Well, there's a, a great scene in the 2012 version of The Amazing Spider-Man, and I know there's been 48 of them since then, but in this particular Amazing Spider-Man movie, there's this great scene where Peter Parker suddenly becomes aware of the powers he's received as a, re, uh, as a result of a recent spider bite, and as Parker sleeps on this subway bench, uh, one of the men on the, the, the subway with him uh, Ten decides to play a trick on him, and he places a, a cold beer bottle on his head. And as the condensation runs down the bottle and hits uh, Peter Parker's forehead, he springs from the bench and lands on all fours on top of the ceiling, upside down. And he's just hanging there. And everybody's sort of like, what in the world? Well, instantly after that, a woman standing near, near her starts to complain because the beer bottle, as it flew over, uh, fell on her shirt. And so she's complaining about the beer smell that's on her shirt. Now, Peter Parker's a really nice, you know, subtle guy. And so he gets down from the ceiling, as you will, on a subway. And he goes over to the woman to comfort her. And as he places her hand on her shirt, he realizes his hand is stuck to her shirt now. You know, And so he's trying to get it off. And eventually he does, but he rips the whole shirt, out, shirt off. So the people in the subway kind of lose their minds. Like, who is this guy? What's your problem? And so they go after him. They retaliate. And man, Peter Parker puts the kung fu moves on and he disperses of them almost immediately. And so during the next few minutes, passengers go after Peter in retaliation, and they're just eliminated by him almost instantly. In the end, Peter's standing in the subway with people laying all around him, and he's just dumbfounded by what just happened. He can't believe it. The whole scene is pretty comedic, actually, because Parker, who was bitten by the spider much earlier, he, he can't understand why he can all of a sudden stick to ceilings and fight off a mob with ease. He apologizes profusely, even as it's happening. He punches a guy. I'm sorry, man. I don't know what's happening to me, right? And, and by the end, he seems so disappointed by the whole thing as it happened. Now, I, I'm not a huge superhero fan. I really am not. But I have always liked Spider-Man and the Peter Parker character, partially because he is a very unlikely person to become a superhero. He's just this quiet guy who kind of goes about his own business. He's sort of a loser in some ways, but somehow he becomes this superhero known as Spider-Man. Now, partially, the other reason is because it takes Peter a while to really realize and utilize the powers that he has received. He has them. He just doesn't realize that he has them. And it's sort of comedic to watch him discover some of these powers. Now, as we dive back into the book of Acts, we're actually going to see a similar happening to 12 men who happen to be in the city of Ephesus. So with that in mind, if you haven't done so yet, grab your phone, open up the YouVersion Bible app, go to more events and the Genesis Church, and you can follow along with our passage today. Or if you've got your Bible in hand, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. Now, in Acts chapter 18... We see Paul spend a good amount of time in the city of Corinth, followed by a trip home in which he passes through many of the cities where churches now exist, churches that he helped or some of his, his co-laborers helped to plant. And we're also introduced to a church leader named Apollos. Last week, if you were here, you learned about him. Apollos was a key leader in the church of Corinth. But 
When he comes onto the scene, he's actually in Ephesus, and he meets Priscilla and Aquila, who were good friends of Paul's from his time in Corinth. And when they meet him, they realize he's a little mistaken on a few things about the gospel and about faith. Namely, he's a little confused about baptism and the centrality of Jesus. So Priscilla and Aquila gently take Apollos aside. They don't embarrass him. They don't humiliate him. They take him aside and they teach him. They explain to him, hey, you know what? You're a great leader. You're well-educated. There's a few things you've got wrong. We want to make sure you've got those right. Apollos seems to humbly receive that. And then they send him on his way to Corinth. Apollos becomes a great leader in the city. Now, as we pick up the story in Acts chapter 19, we will see Paul, who's now in Ephesus, run into a similar situation in the city. Here we go. Acts 19, starting in verse 1. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, he's since left Ephesus, gone to Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus, on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Okay, so Paul will eventually spend about three years in the city of Ephesus. He'll spend more time in the city of Ephesus than any one city throughout all of his travels. And as a result, the the church in Ephesus, the Ephesian church, would become a major hub, an influential church in Asia Minor at the time. But its start is a little shaky. There's a lot of misinformation going around in the church of Ephesus that both Priscilla and Aquila and Paul have to sort through. And so as Paul meets these believers in the city of Ephesus, and he does refer to them as believers, which is important. It's an important distinction here. He realizes, though, that either through their conversation or maybe through observation, that they aren't aware of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you aren't sure why this is a major concern of Paul's, we got to go back to the words of Jesus when he promised that he was going to ascend to heaven, but that he would send the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, 8. Before he goes and sends to heaven after his resurrection, Jesus leaves these words with his closest followers. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Likewise, in John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus promises the coming of the Holy Spirit. Similar to that in Acts chapter one, he says, I'm gonna send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. I'm not leaving you behind without the help that you need. I am sending my spirit to be with you. Uh, In his commentary on Jesus' words, John, the author of the Gospel of John, he talks about the receiving of the Holy Spirit as well. And he says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. These are the words of Jesus. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And then John gives this commentary on Jesus' words. He says, when he said, when Jesus said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. All this to say, 
that receiving the Holy Spirit is a critical component of what it means to believe and follow Jesus. You cannot have one without the other. They go together. Though Jesus ascended to heaven, he has given us the Holy Spirit in us to lead us, to change us, to guide us when we believed. And so you can see why then that Paul is concerned for these believers when they tell him, we haven't even heard about this thing called the Holy Spirit. I mean, it seems to indicate that they're clearly mistaken about what happens when a person believes in Jesus and they need to be aware of who they truly are now. So Paul corrects them. Verse 4. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were then baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came up on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. I'm going to just take a time out here, because unfortunately, this passage has been beaten and battered for about a hundred years regarding things like baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And we could spend weeks, and I mean it, weeks, tearing all of that apart. But this passage is not and was not given to us as a prescription for proper baptism or somehow the necessity of speaking in tongues after receiving the Holy Spirit. That's not why it exists. I suppose if you took this passage and you remove it from the rest of the Bible, which some of my brothers and sisters like to do, by the way, you would be forced to make some simple conclusions about all of that. But this text belongs in a longer narrative. There is context all around this passage that tells us that's not what this passage is about. It's a longer narrative that tells us that a person is filled with the Holy Spirit immediately when they believe, and not only in association with baptism. Baptism is simply an expression of what's already happened. And one tell, that tells us that not everyone speaks in tongues when it happens. It happens here, but it doesn't happen everywhere, right? So I just want to put that aside for a second. Because that's not where we're going today. And I don't think that that's why Luke includes this story. So I'm going to just steer away from trying to construct this house of cards around baptism, the gifts of the Spirit. We can talk about that offline. I instead want to lean into the deeper reason why Luke includes this passage and what his true intent was with it for his original audience and I think for us today. You see, it's interesting when Paul asks the believers in Ephesus, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He already knows the answer, right? The answer is yes, they did. He refers to them, or Luke does, as believers. They believe in Jesus. So when Paul asks this question, he's asking them a question he already knows the answer to. He just wants to hear them say it. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Right? He already labeled them as believers, which, as I mentioned, is an important distinction for these people. Now, many years later, 
Paul would write a letter to the same people in the same city. He would write a letter, the letter of Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. And here's what he would say in the very first chapter in the book of Ephesians. He would say, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the what? Holy Spirit, Spirit, whom he promised long ago. When did it happen? When you believed. When you believed. So Paul, these are believers. They got a few mistakes here. They got a few things wrong. He knows. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? He knows they did. He just wants to know if they know that they did. Right? Again, Paul has identified these Ephesians in Acts 19 as believers, which means he knows they've received the Holy Spirit because they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. As soon as a person genuinely says, yes, I will follow you, Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence in their lives. There isn't a gap. It's immediate. But again, there is something in how these believers in Ephesus are talking or behaving that makes Paul wonder if they realize they have the Holy Spirit living in them. So he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? He's almost like egging them on. Like, do you receive it? Do you know it, right? It's almost as a way of clarifying whether they even know what he's talking about or not, and they don't. It sounds almost like Paul is asking a setup question to them, one that he already knows the answer to. He knows they received the Spirit, but he wants to see if they realize they have the Spirit living in them. Now, it's important to note some context around this passage, because in Acts chapter 18, we find out that some of these misunderstandings, baptism and the Spirit, have been circling around the city of Ephesus. Paul's close friends, Priscilla and Aquila, they just went with this same issue and dealt with it with Apollos in Ephesus. And so Paul is now in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila are there. They're hanging out. They're having dinner. Paul knows what's going on in Ephesus before he has this conversation. They've been talking. Paul knows all about their interaction with Apollos, some of the misinformation going around. So when he hears these believers say they don't know about the Holy Spirit, he asks them the question, hold on a second, which baptism did you receive? Like, I think I've heard this story before. Do you know Apollos, right? Like, he didn't ask that, but he's thinking that. Do you know Apollos? Which baptism did you receive? You can almost see the wheels turning in Paul's head as he discovers why they don't realize the Spirit lives in them. And he was right for asking because they say the same thing Apollos did a few verses earlier. They say, well, we were baptized by John the Baptist. That's what happened. So Paul explains, that baptism was for repentance but was preparatory for the necessity of new birth in Jesus Christ. So Paul leads them through baptism as a new believer in Jesus. He lays hands on them to experience for the very first time the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's a power that reveals itself for them through the speaking of in tongues and prophesying. Now, as I read this passage, it made me think back 
to that subway scene in Amazing Spider-Man. It made me think back to Peter Parker. And it made me wonder of myself and of many of us in this room, are we walking through life with the spirit of the creator of the universe living in us, but totally unaware of its power? Are we just laying on subway benches with the ability to change the world around us, but unaware that we possess the power to do it? Are we so busy trying to live under the power of our own lives that we no longer tap into the supernatural power of the Spirit of God living in us? Have we lost sight? of the fact that the spirit living in us is so much greater than anything in this world, including our enemy who tempts us, who trips us up. Have we lost sight of how powerful our God really is? I mean, it made me ask myself the question and it makes me ask you the same question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you? If you're a believer, the answer is what? Yes. Then what are we doing? Why are we still trying to live under our own power? Why are we still negating the fact that that spirit that lives in us is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. And if that spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, then guess what he can do in our lives and in our world? You know, I don't think the problem is with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Y'all needed to hear that this morning. You know you did. Here's what I want you to remember, and I want you to walk in this this week. You received it when you believed it. Start living like it. You, You received the Holy Spirit when you said yes. And I don't care how old you were, and I don't care if 10 years later you walked away from it for a while, for a while, Right? You know, I, I hear people, this is why, by the way, we don't re-baptize people here, typically. Look, when you believed and said yes to Jesus, that was it. It's not like the, the, the spirit, you know, you say yes to Jesus, and then you go and you smoke a cigarette, and he's like, I'm out, man, I can't do this. That's not how this works, okay? I mean, smoking's bad for you, but that's not the point, okay? The spirit lives in you. And I don't care if you haven't been to church in 25 years. If when you were seven years old, you said yes to Jesus, that spirit still lives in you. And its power is available to you to change your life and to change the world around us. So let's start being people who live in that. You know, I hear, look, I hear a lot of complaining in life. Not just, I'm not saying complain, just in general, right? Just a lot of complaining, right? I think that as believers, we should wake up every day like, oh my gosh, the spirit of God lives in me. This is amazing. And we should walk through life just like 
Do you want to know something? The Spirit of God lives in me. You know what happened? Jesus was dead. He rose again. He lived on this earth. He went to heaven. And then he sent his Spirit, the same one that rose him from the dead. It's like in me. I mean, that's how we should walk around the world. Don't you think? But instead we're like, oh. God, God wants me to give some money to the church. He wants me to serve again. Like, oh my gosh, I get to give money to the church. The spirit of God lives in me. I get to fuel this whole mission. This is incredible. How do you walk around in life? Now, look, I know that every day isn't just like, wow, rainbows and butterflies. I'm not saying that. But is there a deep recognition on our part of what is going on in us as a result of our belief in who Jesus is? Or are we just suppressing that and acting like, you're no good, Holy Spirit. I could never come out, get over this sin. I could never do this. You don't want to use me. Is that how, is that our behavior? What is our position with this? Because I think Paul, when he meets these men, he's like, don't you know? You, you, you guys, what are you talking about? You're believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, you did. Now start living as if it's true. Listen, that voice in your head, that is not an alter ego. It is the Spirit of God guiding you, convicting you, challenging you, encouraging you. Would you stop ignoring it? Just start responding to it. You know what I found? I'll tell you, Jane. I'll tell you what I found. The crazier the thought, the more fruitful the results. Not, look, I, look, that's not biblical, okay? I'm not saying that that's, there's, I got a verse for that. I'm just saying that from experience. That when God calls you to do something, you know that voice in your head, don't you? And you know that it lines up with scripture and you do it, watch out. Those everyday intuitions you have, Man, I should, I should help that person. I should have that conversation. Man, I should tell them about Jesus. Those aren't coincidences. Let's start trusting them. Watch what happens. That resistance toward temptation, swim in its waters. The Spirit is giving you the power to stop being a slave to your sin and start living in the freedom he provides. You know that feeling, right? That temptation is right there. And man, it's shiny and it looks good and it's going to be fun. And then that voice in your head, that intuition in your gut says, run! And you don't do it. Now look, the Spirit's going to keep chasing you. He's not going to give up on you. But man, when he says, run, run! I mean, run away, right? Those truths that you know that you are loved and are forgiven and have a future and have a hope, those are the words of your creator to you. Stop ignoring them. And when you're reminded of them, don't dismiss them. Recite them. Walk in them. Live in them. Smile about them. 
the gifts that you're hiding under the surface, that gift of healing or service, the gift of tongues, prophecy, leadership, let them loose. Stop chaining them up. Don't doubt them. Don't squelch them. You know, the church in Ephesus would go on to become a hallmark church in the first century. And it all began right here. Paul reminding the early believers, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And his power is available to you at all times. So today and every day after, if you follow Jesus, I want to remind you of what you have. You have the Holy Spirit, God himself, living in you. He has taken up residence, giving you the power and the presence of mind to love and live for him. And if you have not made, listen, if you're here and you have not made that definitive decision to follow Jesus, where you could say this morning, I am a follower of Jesus. If you have yet to do that, I want you to know that the spirit of your creator, the one who so powerfully knit you together, created the world you see and came to you in love to die for your sins, that same spirit is available to you when you say yes to Jesus. I am telling you, if you have not made that definitive decision, do not hesitate another second. Simply say, I will follow you this morning. Say yes to him. You will not regret that. Let me leave you with these words. And I want you all to stand to your feet with me, will you? Come on. Spirit of God's living in you. Let's go. Let me leave you with these words from 1 John chapter 4. I want to encourage you this week. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Every morning when you wake up this week, will you do this for me? Every morning, will you flip to this passage? Will it be the first thing you look at this week? Not your phone, not Instagram, not TikTok, not your bank account. This, let this be the first thing you look at. Can you commit to that? Yes. Six of you, can you commit to that? Yes. All right, good. First John 4, 4. I want to just speak these words over you this morning. I want you to experience these words. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Let me read it again. But you belong to God, dear children. Do you know that? You belong to him. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Can we give a shout of praise for God this morning? Hey, you know what? We're going to sing. We're going to sing about that spirit that lives in us. Thanks, Justin.